This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. for his ninth. 18 points, nine rebounds, six oh. assists. Oh, 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 oh the chicken! Double time! Miles Turner! Yeah! Welcome to the NBA, my friend! Turner sets the screen. Oh, 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 no. oh, oh no. right Don't let him throw it down like that! Victor on the deep throw! Throws it back to Oladipo. Stevenson behind, drives inside! And the foul! Lance Stevenson! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Born Ready to Pod podcast. Welcome back to episode 8 of the Born Ready to Pod podcast. My name is Chris Cook. Sitting next to me, as always, Eric Hawk, Jake Light. Guys, we got a very, very special guest on the podcast today. Yeah, Chris Denarius himself, a pal Denarius. And he does not watch Game of Thrones. We learned that in the interview. Yeah, I had a whole Game of Thrones, like, Chris Denary, like, wordplay I was going to do, and he just had never seen an episode, so I, guess I completely forgot to ask him this question. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it, what shocked me most about Denary, he didn't watch Game of Thrones like, like 95% of America does, but um, he was so open with everything. Yeah. Um, he was super interesting. He took us through, you know, things he does on a daily basis, and... I think you guys will really love it, especially if you love the Pacers, kind of hearing what he does on a, on a daily basis, talking to guys and his relationship with them. I think you guys will like it a lot. That's one thing I found out from all these interviews we've lined up and done so far. These guys are all so open with their time, so like courteous and like great to work with. It's, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure, I'll say, yes, from my end. Absolutely. So uh, if you guys, we're going to go ahead and go into it. This Let's is our do it. interview with Chris and Ari coming up next. All right, so as we mentioned before, we have a guest with us here today, a very special guest at that, a man who definitely doesn't need any introductions. We have the Pacers television play-by-play announcer, Chris Denary. Chris, how's it going tonight? Hey, it's doing, uh, it's going great. Uh, thank you very much. Glad to do it. It's uh, been a really, really good summer, um, you know, Pacers-wise, personal-wise, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, and Chris is actually, a lot of you guys don't know this probably, he's been doing broadcasting sports in Indiana for over 25 years. Um, so he's been with the Pacers. I think you're going into, what, your 13th season coming up? Is that what it yeah. is? Yep, 13. So yep. 13 seasons with the Pacers. He's also spent time uh, with the Fever as well, and then also Butler. So he's been a big, Indiana, not just the Pacers, but Indiana uh, media member doing broadcasting for over 25 years. And then back in 2016, you were actually – named to the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association of Hall of Fame. So those are pretty big credentials right there. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the one thing about when you think about Hall of Fame, you think about careers being over, but that's not the case for me. I was very honored, very flattered 
a couple of years ago uh, to be selected. Um, you know, when when you're starting out in this business, as I did back uh, in the early '80s when I graduated from Wabash, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in your career. And needless to say, I did not think I would be a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And you know, maybe you hope that you might one day be the voice of the Indiana Pacers, but that's not something that you know I, I necessarily put down as a goal. Um, a lot of it is right place, right time, knowing, you know, the right people, definitely having the talent and the skill to do the job. But, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic, uh, to, to be able to do what I've done really in my hometown. Um, I moved to uh, Westfield when I was a high school junior. So I've been in the central Indiana area for more than 40 years. And, and so, to be doing what I'm doing uh, on a regular basis uh, for the Pacers is uh, quite an honor. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> when I was growing, I was born in '90, so I started watching the Pacers. Uh, you know, starting like '95, '96, really when I could start catching on. I think it was Al Albert before you. So I think before yeah. then it was Al Albert, and then you had joined back in I think '06. I think it was. But I might be a little biased here, but I'm going to say that you're my favorite play-by-play guy of all time. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. I mean, there have been, uh, you know, if you, if you look over the years, some of the names that have done the Pacers, Bob Lamey, who's the voice of the Colts on radio, yeah. he was a Pacers play-by-play person. Marty Brenneman, uh, the radio voice of the Cincinnati Reds, I think was the play-by-play voice for a couple of years. Uh, Jerry Baker, uh, as you said, uh, Al Albert, Marv's brother. So to just be, you know, have my name in, in that category – it is ironic that next year, my 13th year, that's the most years that anybody's uh, been the television voice of the Pacers. So that's awesome. it's, uh, it, it, it's definitely an honor. Um, it's not something that I take uh, for granted. Um, you know, to this day, I, I continue to work as hard as I can, prepare as hard as I can, uh, because I know uh, there are a lot of people that would love to have my job. There's no oh, question yeah. about it. I I am. I, I know I have a great job, and uh, I want to continue to do it. I'd like to do it. I'm 57. I, I'd really like to do it another 10 to 12 years. Um, I, I think that'd be a, a, a nice career. Get you know near 25 years, and so I'm going to continue to work hard at it so that I can uh, you know stay sharp and and stay in position to be the voice of the Pacers. Yep. So kind of mentioning it a couple times already. Um, so you obviously you have that prior experience with your other play-by-play gigs, um, but entering your 13th season with the Pacers, what advice would Chris Denary entering his 13th season give to Chris Denary entering his first season as Pacers announcer? Any specific advice you would get, go back in time and give you give your some give yourself some advice, some things that you've learned that you've obviously had 13 years of experience with the Pacers. What things would you go back in time and tell yourself starting off right away? Well, I think the one thing that I've really learned is as you prepare for a broadcast, um, all of the information that you um, have on on your chart or the chart that I use, you don't necessarily have to use for that game. And I think that's the the biggest thing I've learned over the years is that uh, while you want to be prepared, I I look at each broadcast almost like an open book test. Um, but, But all of that information that you have that you've prepared and studied for you don't necessarily have to use it. it it's not something that um, you need to force. Uh, sure, during our telecast, you'll see graphics and you'll you'll see things that we have built 
that makes sense. But then there are a lot of other numbers and stats and stories that I have that I may not use on a Tuesday, I may not use on a Wednesday, I may not use it that week. But then the next week, if the Pacers are home or on the road, it may be something that I want to use. So I think I think learning to be patient as a broadcaster in disseminating the information that you've collected and, and to always know, especially on, on television and, and when you're doing something like we are uh, three to four nights a week, um, is, uh, you know, let, let the game tell the story and, and then utilize the information that you've collected uh, to help embellish that story, but only only if it's necessary on that particular night. So I think that's the one thing I've learned. I, I think, you know, when I was a young broadcaster, um, uh, you know, especially in my, my first or second year with the Pacers, and you, you have all this information that you've collected and you want to share it. Yeah. And you can use too much. And so I think that's something that I've learned uh, hopefully now, 13 years later, uh, how to be a better television play-by-play person. Yep. You grew up playing basketball, and you played in college as well, winning a D3 national championship with Wabash. When did you know that you wanted to get into sports media at some point, and what steps did you take along the way to put yourself in a successful position? Well, the, the one thing that I did, um, you know, if you think about growing up as a, as a kid in, in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, we didn't have video games. Yeah. Uh, we had tabletop games. And so I would uh, go to my room and play Stratomatic basketball, Stratomatic baseball <laughs> with a tape recorder and a cassette player, and I'd call the game. Yeah, and wow. uh, and so I I knew that I wanted to, to work in sports. Uh, my dad was a high school coach. I, I didn't think I wanted to be a coach, uh, but I thought I wanted to do something in and around uh, athletics and specifically the game of basketball. Uh, so in the fall of 1979, when I went to Wabash, um, I was the first of five kids to go to college and my dad took me over to Crawfordsville. And as he dropped me off for orientation on the mall at Wabash college, they had a lot of different tables, you know, with different clubs you could join. And one of the tables was WNDY radio. And my dad pointed and said, you know, I just think that's something that you'd be really interested in, you know, especially uh, from a sports standpoint. And so I went over, signed up, and literally from day one, um, I was on the radio. And uh, I was the play-by-play voice of the football team my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And and so I just had a feeling that that's that's what I wanted to do. And my first job out of college was at a radio station in Columbus, Indiana – where I did high school football and high school basketball. And uh, at that point, you know, I knew that I'd love to be in a position to be the voice of a team. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I think that obviously is, is a dream for a lot of guys that you get to a point where you realize, Hey, I'm probably not going to make it to the NBA. Hey, I'm probably not going to be a, you know, a pro coach, but really putting the time into it, like you just talked about, I mean, it's, it's kind of a dream for, I would say, you know, hundreds of, of guys out there uh, in college today. They would love to have your job. Do you ever feel any pressure with that? I mean, or, or are you just kind of going about it, you know, one year at a time and just enjoying your time as, as the voice of the Pacers? Well, I'm very fortunate that, uh, you know, the, the Pacers believe in me and, and all of the contracts that I've signed have been multi-year contracts. That's awesome. and so, um, you know, there's always, um, you know, the opportunity 
um, you know, to do this. And I think, you know, the Pacers, like anybody else, they, they know this is what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's pressure uh, to perform, but I would say, um, you know, that's why I work hard at it, because I do know there are numerous people that would love to have my job. And, and when I got this job 13 years ago, um, when Al Albert stepped away, there were two or three other people within the NBA who had lost their job with other teams Jeez. that wanted that job desperately. Yeah. And I, I had, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, an ace in the hole, if you will, my boss, who's the, the current boss and our director of our telecast, Jamie Burns, he's the vice president of broadcasting. And, and we had worked together at channel 59 back in the day. And I had been the radio and television voice of the Indiana fever. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of that guy in the bullpen and Jamie believed in me. Um, I think everybody liked my work. The NBA liked my work, Fox sports, Midwest, Fox sports, Indiana. They liked my work, but I had never done the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was, I wouldn't say it was a strike against me, but I think there were probably some people that didn't know if I would be up to, to that level. Now I had been the radio and TV voice of the Butler Bulldogs for many years, but you're, you're taking a different step when you go to an NBA franchise and you're doing 82 games a year. And uh, I guess my point was when I interviewed for the job, I said, look, everybody that's anyone had to start out somewhere, right? And, and I sort of said, you know, Jim Nance. Well, Jim Nance has been the television voice of the NCAA tournament for how many years? And he's been the television voice of the Masters for how many years? Well, at some point, he had to do his first one. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I said. I said, "Well, you know, at some point, I'm going to have to do my first NBA game." And uh, I was a big believer in my talents. Uh, Jamie was a huge, uh, you know, proponent of mine, and you know, here we are, 13 years later. So, you know, hopefully that 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 tells you, you know, what the Pacers feel about me and what I feel about the Pacers. Yep. Uh, so before we get into some talk about the uh, Pacers team uh, last year and this upcoming season. Everybody uh, who at least watches most of the games on Fox Sports has seen those detailed charts that you had referenced earlier that you uh, uh, that you prepare for prior to each game. So me being a very organized person, I truly appreciate the uh, kind of organization and detail that you put into these things. Um, so besides those charts, can you explain to us and our listeners as well how much preparation is needed prior to just a single game? So I could regular Tuesday night game, how much preparation is needed by you and, and your team just for that one game going going into uh, 7 o'clock tip-off? Tip sure. So so probably, um, you know, on Monday, um, you're always in preparation mode. But if it's a Tuesday home game, then Monday I'm going to be down at Bankers Life Fieldhouse for practice, watch practice, talk to the players, talk to the coaches, come home. And, uh, you know, probably start – on my my chart for the next night and i usually like to get about half of it done the night before if at all possible and that's um you know putting together the numbers the trends for the teams and the players and normally i am doing that at my desk at home and i've usually got a couple of games on i've got a game on my ipad through League Pass, I've got a game on my computer. One of those is probably a live game that I'm watching, and one of those is probably the latest game of the team that the Pacers would play on Tuesday. Yeah. Because a lot of the information that you get, the nuggets about the other team, 
come from the local broadcast. Yeah, yeah you know great. some of the some of the stuff you would get out of the game notes, but the local broadcasters of each team know their team as well as anybody. And so if I can steal some information from those guys, um, then that's very helpful. Um, then on Tuesday, you know, I would get up, I would go get a coffee. I'd be back at my desk. I very rarely go downtown for shoot around on game day. I usually go to all the shoot arounds on the road because I'm on the road, Yeah. but at home, um, and, and a lot of times I'll be honest last year, Nate McMillan was not doing the 10 a.m. shoot arounds. They were coming in at four o'clock and doing a late afternoon walkthrough shoot around before the game. So I would uh, continue to work on my chart, um, you know, check Twitter, check uh, game notes, uh, check the Internet um, and, you know, try to have everything um, wrapped up uh, by, you know, one or two o'clock. Somewhere at that time during the day, I will get an email from our game producer uh, alerting me to what his thoughts are for the game open, uh, what are some of the graphics that he is planning on building for the game. Um, I will also get an email from the pregame show producer. Um, Quinn and I uh, on road games were always on the pregame show. Home games were probably on 50% of those shows. So if we're to be on that night, he sends us an email and says, okay, you're going to be in segment three. Um, you know, uh, Pacers are playing the Rockets. Uh, I really want to focus on Victor Oladipo and James Harden. You will talk about those two. So all of that information I have um, as I get in the car to drive down to Bankers Life Fieldhouse. I try to be in the building between 4 and 4.30. Uh, we have a production meeting at 4.45 where we go over all these details, last-minute changes. Um, then you know, I, I usually walk down the hall and listen to uh, Nate McMillan. He speaks at 5.15. Uh, the visiting coach speaks at 5.30. Uh, 6 o'clock, we rehearse the Open. Uh, 6.30, we're on the air on the pregame, so I may have a role in that. 7 o'clock. Um, we, we go live with the open and for the next two and a half hours, it's the game. So, um, you know, if you, if you do that 82 times, um, game days are long days, um, especially if you're flying after a game and you're playing in a back to back, let's say that's a Tuesday game and we're at home and let's say we have a Wednesday game and we're at Cleveland, we're at Chicago, wherever we're on a plane right after the game, heading to that next city. And for instance, if you're in Indianapolis and you're playing Miami the next day, that's a two and a half hour flight. We might not get to the hotel until two or three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then, you know, in a, in a back to back, um, you're up as early as possible because you've got to start working on the next night's game. Yeah. So, um, you know, there is a lot of work and a lot of preparation, but there is a rhythm you get into as the season goes along. And I know, you know, pretty much how long it's going to take me to do what I need to do to get ready for the game and, you know, feel pretty comfortable that way. It's awesome. Yeah, that's some great insight. Obviously, we, we don't know what goes on, you know, for you guys, the on-air personalities on a day-to-day basis. So I think like what you just went through, that was kind of eye-opening for us just kind of sitting here. We're just kind of looking at each other like we didn't realize, you know, so much time went into it. So, yeah, the, the great insights there. Now, um, since you were you are a part of the team every single day, you know, you, you're broadcasting each game, you're traveling with the team like you just, uh, you know, alluded to. What things did you notice this past season that stuck out the most as to why the, the last year's team was so successful? Because I think going into the season, 
Um, a lot of fans were just just kind of thought this was going to be maybe an eight seed, maybe not make the playoffs. Now all of a sudden we're competing. So what types of things did you see from that, that team last year that you think made them um, especially successful? I think it was a combination of youthfulness, maturity, and just honestly liking each other a lot. Um, you know, you'd go in the locker room, uh, everyone got along. And I give a lot of credit to Victor Oladipo uh, mm-hmm. because he came into a new situation um, and just worked his tail off. I mean, he's the first one in the locker room, last one to leave. When your be- Kevin Pritchard has said it time and time again. When your best player is your best person, then th- that says a lot. Yeah. And there's, there's you know nobody that's going to work harder than Vic. The other thing is, is he just has a pleasant personality. I mean, he gets on the bus for shoot around for practice when we're on the road or, you know, he's singing, he's happy. Um, He lifts everyone's spirit. And I just don't think enough can be said about that. And, um, uh, you know, I'm not in the team meetings. I'm not in the locker room. So I, I don't see what's happening on a daily basis. I can just see what I see in practice, what I see maybe in a locker room after practice in a locker room after a game. But I I just think there was a genuine uh, love or like of each other, genuine respect. I also think that um, they, they said it was a very democratic locker room that everybody had a voice. Nobody felt like, they couldn't speak or wouldn't speak. And, and, and I'll be honest, the, the, the teams, the, the prior years, they were good guys. They were, yeah. they were not bad guys at all, but there were a lot of guys that just felt like they couldn't say what they needed to say. Right. And uh, I just think, I, I just think there was a lack of leadership. It, it, it doesn't mean there are bad guys. It just means that somehow pieces just don't fit together. And that's what I would say you know, about the team the year before uh, that probably should have been a lot better. Um, it, it just didn't fit. And last year's team, it fit. And you could see it early. Even though the team was right around 500 at 19 and 19, um, it still uh, was a very positive locker room and a very positive experience. And and, and there are a couple times that, that I look and, and why did this team do what it did? Well, I think there was a road trip in January where the Pacers won the first two, and it was a five-game road trip, yeah. and then lost the next two. They lost in Portland and lost in L.A. against the Lakers. And then they have to end the road trip in San Antonio in a building where I think the Pacers had won like twice in the last 15 or 16 yeah, hasn't been uh, very often. years. And, you know, even though Kawhi Leonard's not there, the Spurs are still the Spurs, and the Pacers went in and just throttled San Antonio to end the road trip 3-2, and two. And, and that said a lot to me. And then I think later in the year, um, right after the All-Star break, you know, they would had a good first half. Um, they lose in Atlanta. They lose to Dallas, you know, two, you know, bad teams last year. Yeah. And then they rattle off wins at Boston, Washington, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. Yeah, that was and, a great you know, th- th- That was an impressive stretch. And, and I give a lot of credit to Victor because Victor never allowed the group to get down. Mm-hmm. He, he had them very positive, and that's why they were able to bounce back from those disappointing losses. Yeah, definitely. 
after all the moves the Pacers made this offseason, uh, what are your expectations from them in the coming year? And do you think they can challenge for one of those top two or three seeds in the Eastern Conference? I definitely think this is a, a top three or four team. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the good news is LeBron James is gone. And yeah, let's absolutely. be honest, he's eliminated the Pacers five times from the playoffs, uh, twice with the Cavaliers and three times with Miami. The Pacers just, as, as good as they would play in a series against LeBron, they just couldn't win those series. So now LeBron's out of the East. Uh, Boston's still good. Philadelphia's young. I think they'll be good. Toronto with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, you would have to believe Washington, Milwaukee, uh, Detroit, Miami will all be very competitive teams. But yeah. I think with what the Pacers have returning, uh, with the addition of Tyreek Evans, with Doug McDermott, a 40% three-point shooter, um, this is a much more solid team on paper than a year ago. And I, I still believe there's a, a, an inherent hunger that this group has, especially those guys that have come back knowing – that they should have eliminated Cleveland in the first round. So this is not going to be a complacent team. This is yeah. going to be a very hungry team because they believe that they have something to prove. Which guy are you looking forward to getting to know the most and just kind of learn those tidbits about the new guy, at least? Well, you know, I've, I've enjoyed watching Tyreek Evans over the year. I think yeah. he's, uh, over the years, I think he's been a very underappreciated player. Yeah. Uh, so I'm anxious to, you know, get to know him a little bit. He, he appears to be a quiet, yeah. uh, you know, person, Definitely. but but anxious to, to visit with him. I've always enjoyed watching Doug McDermott. Uh, liked watching him at Creighton. I uh, think he's an outstanding shooter. Seems like a very personable guy. Um, and Kyle O'Quinn. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so much has been said about his leadership and just his ability to help guide a team in the locker room. Uh, he played with Victor Oladipo. He played with Doug McDermott. Uh, people know of him. So I, I think all three in their own way will have a significant impact in the locker room and on this team on the floor. Yeah, I'm kind of going off script here a little bit, but how when we kind of obviously follow Pacer News very closely, when they, when they signed Kyle O'Quinn, I, I think we kind of, like Pacer fans, just kind of penciled him in as kind of the fourth big guy. How surprised were you? When uh, you know the Pacers came out, basically said that Kylo Quinn is going to be their fifth big guy. So that kind of tells us that TJ Leaf it probably will get that fourth big guy minutes. I mean, how shocked were you to hear that? Did you kind of think O'Quinn was going to get some major run, or did you view him as like you said, like the Al Jefferson leadership type of guy? Well, I, I mean, I think they'll they'll allow that to happen uh, through the course of training camp. I mean, he gives you somebody that is a veteran and. Let's think about it, guys. It's an 82-game season. Uh, you know, last year, Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis both played you know, somewhere between 65 and 70 games. You would hope they're playing around 75 or 76 games. But, I mean, the nature of the league is you're going to have injuries. And so you're going to count on somebody like Kyle O'Quinn to fit in and, and play a little bit. But I think all of that will um, you know, come through in training camp. I, I think... T.J. Leaf had sort of an up-and-down summer league, uh, though I thought he played better toward the end than he did at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just have to believe that the Pacers are going to be able to play a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, you could see Tyreek Evans playing the small forward at times. You could see him playing the point guard at times. Um, you know, they, they played so many different ways last year. So I just think the versatility that this roster has – 
will enable it to play many different ways throughout the year. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the best way to go about it. Competition just breeds, you know, success. And I mean, if guys are competing, they're obviously getting the most out of each other. I think that's huge, like you said, for training camp. So I mean, that makes it a lot of sense. But you, you mentioned Victor a couple of times. He took that next step. You mentioned his leadership. You mentioned how he was a fun-loving guy. And I think that, like you said, that was pivotal for our team. Um, what are you expecting from him this season? Do you think he can continue to improve on his success? Um, because obviously he was the most improved player. And so if he keeps improving, he's going to start getting kind of talked about as maybe the top shooting guard and in the league. He, it's getting close. I think he had mentioned this just came out a few days ago. His goal first season was most improved after that MVP. So he obviously has bigger aspirations out there than just being most improved player. Yeah, there's no question. He is not a complacent type of guy. Uh, he wants to be the best that he can be. Um, uh, I view him as uh, somebody like a, a Dwayne Wade type of player, but I think he's a better shooter. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the one thing that Victor wants to do is be a more consistent three-point shooter. Think about early in the year. He was better than 42 43% from three-point range. Sometimes you would think it's hard to maintain that level, but I think he can do that, um, and he fell off. Uh, he, you know, He had a tough stretch probably two-thirds of the way through the year where um, he was shooting about 30% from three-point range, and he, he ended up around, what, 37 38%. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think he can be even better than he was a year ago. It might not mean he averages 25 points per game. He averaged 23, but I just think he can be a better all-around player. Yeah. And I think there will be other guys that will help take some pressure off him. I, I think the bench should be much better. It should be a much better scoring bench than it was a year ago because you've added somebody like McDermott and Evans. And I think that those guys can take a lot of pressure off Victor, especially if they're on the floor with him. Yeah, and I think, as you've kind of referenced, the biggest impact, and this is kind of our next question Jake has for you, is his leadership, like going out last year and, you know, putting the work in last offseason, improving himself – I think that's just contagious to a lot of these young guys on the team. Uh, we're going to get into Miles Turner here, just how you've seen what he did at the beginning of this offseason where he had posted that picture, and then he's had all these videos of him like doing yoga, working out. So I think what Victor has done is kind of started a movement with these young Pacers guys to say, well, look what Victor did. He put in the work. Maybe if I do that, I can you know, have similar type of results. No question. I mean – and I think, I think a lot of what Victor learned from Russell Westbrook has helped Victor, and I think it's now trickled down to his uh, teammates. Yeah. And, and again, as I've said, if your best player is doing those things, then it's incumbent on the other players to follow. And I think somebody like Miles Turner, who just turned 22 years old, he needed somebody like Victor Oladipo to sort of show him the way. And I think what Victor showed was, is that, you know, years one, two, and three in Orlando, his fourth year in Oklahoma City, while he was a good player, he took his game to another level. And I think that's what somebody like a Miles Turner is hoping to do. His numbers dropped in year three. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's about 12 points, six and a half rebounds, where before he was 13, 14 points, and seven rebounds. Um, I don't, you know, do I see Miles as being a 20 and 10 guy? No, I don't see that. But I, I think Miles can be a 15 or 16 point eight rebound guy. And I think if you do that on a consistent basis, 
that that's all anybody can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. If you could pick one iconic sports moment from any sport or year, which moment would you choose to go back to in a time and announce for? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I was, uh, and I still am, uh, you know, I've been a long time Cincinnati Reds fan. Yeah. Um, I think, I think back to the 75 and 76 world series, uh, when the big red machine won back to back games and, um, they had a huge come from behind win, win um, in Boston at Fenway Park. I mean, I think, you know, being able to be a, a voice of that would be would be great. Um, you know, I've had so many opportunities as the voice of Butler, you know, doing Pacer playoff games, uh, being in turn four for the Indianapolis 500. Um, I've had my opportunities. Um, uh, Luke Zeller, I think it was, the oldest Zeller hit, a three-quarter court shot for the Washington Hatchets to win the state championship. Yeah, I, I was able that, to yeah. make that call. It was against Plymouth, so, for sure. I've been very blessed to, to be a part of some major accomplishments in sports. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I hope that down the road some other people can have that opportunity as well. Yeah, I mean – I, I remember the Luke Zeller shot. I was actually outside on the concourse trying to get in. I think I think that was the year that Odin and Conley were on Lawrence North. Is that right? It was around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, it's got to be around the yeah. yeah it's got to be around the same time. I get lost in all those years. <laughs> I but, just I can literally um, remember just like what the heck just happened in that game, and then obviously we we've seen it on you know on the TVs like thirty seconds later. That was crazy. Like you said, that's that is an iconic moment for sure. My uh, my college roommate went to Plymouth, and he said after Zeller hit that shot, the coach for Plymouth just didn't say a word to anybody and just walked home from Banker's Life all the way yeah. to Plymouth. That's what he swears by happened, which I think is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, all of us, all of us at some point have been a part of, you know, the the, the joys of sports and the downs of sports. Yeah. And uh, you know, like it, you guys, when you introduced me early on, I was very fortunate to be a a bit player, if you will, a reserve on a national championship team, and and that was clearly one of the highlights of my sports career. Yeah. Uh, to be a part of a group that wins a championship, um, I, I in sports I had my fair share of disappointments too. But um, winning and being a part of a championship team—that's well, something you can never uh, have taken away from you. Absolutely. Well, you kind of we kind of hit on this on the last one, but like, what specific plays, NBA Pacer plays, were the most fun to call for you? Like, are there any that stick out? I mean, there are hundreds every season, but is there one that yeah. just kind of sticks out to you? Well, I mean, I, I think this year, uh, I'll be honest, with the way the season was going, Oladipo, uh, three-point shot to beat San Antonio. Yeah, that was The awesome. three-point shot and the massive comeback against the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the massive comeback from down 20-plus uh, against Denver and, and have yeah. Victor go for 48. I mean – the dunks that Victor had. And, you know, I'll even go back in, in the Paul George era, those two Eastern Conference Finals teams. I mean, there were some outstanding games and plays. Um, you know, unfortunately, as the playoffs ratchet to the second and third round, I don't get to call those games. Yeah, so yeah. I think of some of the great moments of the last 10 years, the Roy Hibbert block on uh, Carmelo Anthony, oh, yeah. uh, Lance Stevenson hitting a big shot against the Knicks. All of those were great moments. 
but I didn't get to be a part of it. I was just watching it like you guys. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, many, many years ago, uh, I don't know if you remember, Carmelo was playing with Denver, but the Pacers went 21 for 22 from the field in the oh, third yeah. quarter and scored like 45 points. And it would have been a perfect quarter, but Josh McRoberts shot a three at the buzzer. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, there have been, you know, over 12 years and, you know, nearly a thousand games, there have been a lot of great moments, and sometimes it's hard to pick those out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, okay, so on the flip side, I'm kind of going rogue here again, but I can just vividly remember last year, Boston Celtics Pacers, it just we oh, all we just yeah. I can just I can just see Bogey taking the ball out and I can literally just hear your voice in my head yeah. as I see it in slow motion he does like I, I mentioned before I, I coach high school basketball and I could just see that pass in slow motion like what was that like seeing that you're right there right in front of it you've yeah. got to you've got to announce that to the Pacer fans that are just watching Rogier just take the ball and just go yeah, it was awful. Um, when, <laughs> Literally when, my night. Quinn said, oh, no. The minute the ball was in the air, Quinn just said, oh, no. And, uh, you know, for, for that to happen, you know, Brad Stevens is a good friend of mine. I always tell Brad I usually root for him 78 times, and the other four, you know, I hope we blow them out. Um, right. Yeah, that was, a, that was a devastating moment. I'll, I'll put that right up there with, <laughs> when I was the voice of Butler in 2000 and, and Butler's playing uh, Florida in the first round of the NCAA tournament and the current coach Laval Jordan was at the free throw line, Butler up one with about seven seconds as a two shot foul, misses free throws, Florida gets the rebound and Mike Miller hits a shot at the buzzer. Um, I think I laid on my bed in the hotel <laughs> for hours after the game. It was devastating because Butler was that close to winning in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Now, the, the Pacers-Celtics game was not of that level, but it was that was a hard one to get over. Hard yeah. one to get over, no question. And we're talking about most recent Pacers disappoints, <laughs> disappointments. Obviously, can't forget about, what was it, Game 5, the LeBron 3, and then yeah. the <laughs> LeBron uh, layup from, I think, 2013. So that <laughs> those was, are plays I think yeah. I just walked outside and I didn't – I couldn't – like I just had to sit there for like an hour, like just in dead silence, just absolutely mm -hmm. heartbreaking. Um, but kind I'll of, be honest – I'll be honest, when I thought LeBron would hit that shot, yeah. I, after Victor had the shot blocked and they didn't call the goaltending, yeah. we all I had just that had feeling. this eerie feeling that yep. uh, LeBron would hit the shot they did. Yep. And kind of going into that, so when you're watching the game at home, let's say you're not doing your broadcast, are you in it as a fan? Like, are you yelling at the TV, cheering the team on? How does that work when you're just sitting at home watching those playoff games? Um. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's your chance um, to act like a fan, especially if I'm in the studio at Bankers Life Fieldhouse getting ready to do the post-game show on Fox Sports Indiana. Um, absolutely. You're, you're cheering. You're getting mad. All those kinds of things. Uh, you can sort of let your hair down because nobody can see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and you do you do become more of a fan. There's no question about that. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, we actually have a special Twitter question here. We asked our followers to guess who we would have. We told them we were having a special guest, but we didn't tell them 
who who the guest was. So whoever guessed it right got to ask you a question. <laughs> so this is from from, okay. from of our from one of our Twitter followers. His name is at Dewan Eight Underscore. He wanted to ask you um, if you could name a starting five of Pacers greats, so all time players. You can include ABA players if you want that you would use to play against the Warriors this season. <laughs> oh, wow. And could we win? Kind of put you, putting you on the spot well, there. The, the, the problem is, is if I went back to the old ABA days and took somebody like Roger Brown and George McGinnis, yeah. um, Big Mac playing the power game, that doesn't really correspond to 2018-19. So um, you, you'd have to you'd have to um, – you know, put together a team um, more current, and clearly you'd have Victor as a part of that. Yeah, um, I'm sure you'd have Paul George. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> I, 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 I would, I would, I would love. I love David West when he was yes. a part of the Pacers. Um, I, I just thought his leadership was outstanding. Um, yeah, I, I love having Thad Young. I think his ability to defend. Um, I, trying to think if I go with starting five. Yeah. You might need a point guard unless you got Vic running it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm playing Vic off the ball. I think you got to put I'm, Reggie I'm, in there, right? I'm using, I'm using Darren Collison because oh. I like speed and quickness. So I have Collison and Oladipo in the backcourt. Um, I'd have to have Paul George as the small forward. Then that and um, West I'd, prob- I'd probably go with David West and uh, Miles Turner. Oh. And then off the bench, I'd have George Hill, uh, Corey Joseph, Domas, Boyan, and Thad. I like it. I would have uh, I would have allowed you to use Kawhi Leonard if you wanted to because I, I'm still hurt about that trade. <laughs> just he's a great, just not a Pacers great, but yeah, I always hate it when they bring up drafted by the Pacers because it just makes me it makes me sick. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you think about it, he really. He was drafted by the Pacers because San Antonio told him yeah, to draft yeah, him, and yeah. I'm not sure. It, it doesn't. I'm make not it sure easier. anybody <laughs> thought that Kawhi would be who Kawhi is. No. So I think it's and it's think, really hard. I to think say. it would have hurt a lot more had we kept that pick and drafted somebody else, and then he went like 18th, and then we just look back because you look back at drafts and you're like, oh my gosh, look at who we could have gotten there. So at least trading the pick, you know. We gave it away. If we would have kept the pick and not picked him, I think we would have been more resentful than we are yeah. now. A lot of free backpacks, it, too. I mean, George yeah, Hill. Yeah, but, but if you think about it, I mean, George Hill was a part of two of the Pacers, you know, of the last 20 years. You'd have to say those two Eastern Conference Finals teams were near the top of the list, and yeah. George Hill was a huge part of that. So yeah. I've never thought it's been as lopsided a trade as a lot of people think. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of our main questions. We got some extra uh, silly questions here for you to kind of wrap it up. So we're going to have uh, – Eric's going to ask you the first question we got here on this list. Okay, when in public, do you do people recognize you more as the Pacers announcer is, or as the guy from the Connecticut Water commercials? <laughs> uh, well, I would say more so as the Pacers announcer, but okay. – um, there was one time I was going through the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> and the lady at the window said, those are the Connecticut dogs. She didn't even talk about me. She just knew that those were the dogs. Um, no, there are people, though, that, that say to me, hey, you're the Connecticut guy. Yeah. So that, that 
partnership has worked very well for both the Pacers, Connecticut, and me. But no, more more people recognize me as the TV voice of the Pacers than Connecticut. Yeah. Those, those commercials are amazing. I, I love just the whole layout, just the comfortability of from your own home. I honestly, I went out and looked for Connecticut. And I, they're not my area, but I wish they were. I, I I like the water. I live by the water. I think I I've so obviously watching the Pacer games. I probably see that commercial like ten times a night. So like now I I'm just like drawn to the dog who's like obviously you're like kind of holding the dog at the end and then like I just picture like some like dog treat or toy or something to keep the dog's attention so that it stays there. Am I am I on track there? Um, you know I'm trying to remember and we've got to we've got to uh, uh, do some new ones here later in the Ooh. summer. Um, Bailey's pretty good with uh, sitting still so. Um, I do remember, though, when we were doing uh, the part of it where she was supposed to drink water and then come toward the camera, we really struggled with that. And I do think my wife had to have some kind of treat um, somewhere so that we could get her to do what we wanted her to do. Yeah, there's no way that my dog could ever <laughs> Zero do that. Zero percent chance. So, uh, next question we got for you. So we've had, I think it was from a few years ago during the <laughs> Pacers timeout. You actually participated in one of the games, the sling, slingshot bowling game. So my, oh, que- yeah. my yeah. question to you is, will you ever try another attempt at that again? No, um, I've done it <laughs> twice. Um, I nearly concussed myself the first time <laughs> because my goal was to win. And I did, I knocked over all the bowling pins. <laughs> And so the next time that I did it, I was going up against JMV from 10-7 to the fan. And I lost because I knew how hard it hurt, how much it hurt when I hit that pad because I tried to get all the the pins. So I protected myself, Mm. and I ended up losing. So I think my human bowling career is done. (laughs) Actually, I think Hawk was at that game. Yeah, I was. That was a great game to be. You got (laughs) I got the one that you had all the strike. We had the strike in one. That's the game I was at. It was awesome. Yeah. Now, the, the one thing I, I would like to do at some point is to be able to get out there in a free throw shooting competition oh. against somebody. Okay. I'd like, like to see that. I'd pay to see that. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. What, what's it like? Now, this is huge for us because we watch, we, we watch all kinds of, you know, just, just replays, you and Quinn, your calls, some of the iconic ones. But what's it like sitting next to a Quinn Buckner smothered chicken call? Because I'm telling you what, I just – I got to know what it's like. It's got to be – it's just got to be – it's got to rev you up. I mean, revs me up. Oh, it, it gets us it gets us all going because the, the truck, they'll be in my ear going, can you believe it? He gave us a smothered chicken. And <laughs> last year, I thought he was he was a little too liberal yes. in not giving too many smothered chickens. He was I way too He was way too stingy. Yeah, yeah, he was really stingy last year. I think we only had two or three. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I think that's something that we have to talk to him about this year because we know how much the fans like it. Now, it's got to be worthy. Yeah. There's no question that the smothered chicken has to be worthy, but I felt there were a lot more worthy smothered chickens last year uh, than he gave us. My favorite smothered chicken call for me has to be the Miles Turner block of LeBron. Rookie year. Do you his remember? rookie year. His yeah. rookie year. 
And then everyone's pumped up. You were pumped up. You gave me give gave us the Miles Turner. Welcome, welcome to, to the NBA, welcome to the friend. NBA, my friend. And yep. then Paul George immediately comes down and misses a jump shot. <laughs> so it was just it was just it just came too fast for us all. But what? Why smothered chicken? I would love. I, we're gonna try to get Quinn on if we can. I know he's a busy guy, but why smothered chicken? What? What? What is that? Like why? why? We have asked we have asked him that before, and he will not divulge uh, why he has come up with smothered chicken. I have no, I can't, I can't answer that question. I think he, I, I do not have... know. I know he likes food, and so there, there's got to be some food involved. Just like when I worked with Clark Kellogg, oh, everything yeah. was about food. Yeah. Um, but but. He, he just says, well, it's just something I developed, and uh, I, I really don't know why I use it. But there's got to be some reason why he uses it. Yeah. I think you got a new goal for this year, though. you got to figure out – you got to just nail him to the ground and say, why smothered chicken? Because I think if you get that, that's a gem that all Pacer fans would love to hear. <laughs> I mean, that's that's some yeah. on-air content. You could I mean, do a whole pregame show on that, and everybody <laughs> would do it. <laughs> That might that might be an opening night. That yeah. might be an opening night question. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget to credit Born Ready to Pod for that. I mean, that's I'm, right. Okay. That's right. Um, so, what are some things that you do during the off season to keep busy? Well, this year is the first year that I have not done the Indiana Fever, so I, I made the decision in the off season. We've got Pat Boylan who does a great job. Uh, he was doing two-thirds of the games. I, I was doing six or seven or eight games on Fox Sports Indiana. Uh, for many years, I would say for the first 12 to 14 years that I did the fever, I did every game. I did uh, either radio or TV. And so it just felt like the right time for me to step away, uh, really have more time at home. Uh, it, it used to be we'd go up to Michigan on vacation with mm-hmm. the family, and I'd have to leave after two days because I had to get back to Indianapolis for a fever game. So it's just given me more time around the house, um, you know, time to enjoy with my wife, um, play golf, uh, just really take it easy. And I think the most important thing as you get older, um, you have to think about those things. And uh, so it, it's been a really, really enjoyable summer. Um, I, I feel like I still have another month um, to enjoy the summer. Um, I, I'm very involved, though, in speaking engagements, um, in playing in golf outings, representing the Pacers. In fact, I'll do that uh, tomorrow. I, I play in a golf outing at Highland Country Club and then speak to about 100 businessmen and women about the Pacers. So I really enjoy doing that, getting out in the community and meeting with people. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about this team and this franchise. And so that's the other thing I tell young broadcasters. It's not just doing game. That is the most important part of my job, but it's not all of what I do. Um, I'm a representative. Um, you know, if I'm in the post office and a fan says, hey, I'd love to talk about the Pacers. Well, I need to engage that fan about the team. Yeah. And so I really enjoy doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. How I think this is a big question. Our, our, I think our fans will love this. How would you rate your ability at Words with Friends? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> we, we only um, ask the hard hitting questions. I think I'm adequate. I think I, I believe I do have a losing record. I'm under 500 in Words with Friends. <laughs> I'm a much better Scrabble player. Oh, for, Scrabble um, so I, um, I I think I think. I think for Chris, that's, he needs to 
he needs to play Scrabble with me because I, I have a better opportunity there than I do in Words with Friends. There we go. Now, we for can... those of you who don't know, listening, Chris and Chris met or have talked, communicated through Words with Friends, and that's how we got this interview. So yeah, Words exactly. with Friends opening doors we never saw possible. We're up to that Scrabble match sometime, whatever you're free for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I enjoy Scrabble. They, um, I enjoy playing the uh, crossword with friends that, that you can play every night, but um, – Believe me, when you are traveling as much as we do on the road and you're on buses and airplanes, um, playing words with friends and Scrabble and crossword, you can kill a lot of time that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Okay, last question here. Um, and this is just kind of a broad, we'll just let you kind of talk about it. Can you just NBA Africa? I mean, how, how was that experience? And I, I believe Quinn was with you there as well. How was that experience and what was it like? What were some of your takeaways? Um, it, it was outstanding. I've done it two of the last three years, both times with Quinn. We've been able to do the play-by-play on the world feed. Um, last year, uh, Victor played in the game, and he was the most valuable player. It was really the first time I had spent a lot of time with Vic, and I think that was real advantageous for me as far as getting to know him and know his personality, getting ready for the year. Um, the one thing that it does is you're around the players in a different type setting. Um, and then it's carried over for me in the last three years. Last year, Kimball Walker played, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, um, all these kinds of guys that you, you're able to spend some time. C.J. McCollum with Portland. Um, we would go on the build of Habitat hum- uh, for Humanity, uh, where we went out uh, into the rural areas of South Africa and helped people build huts. Um, we would go to Soweto and, and go to... Um, where uh, you know kids are going to school um, and 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 a lot of orphans and, and helping them um, you know just learn about everyday life yeah. and and I really enjoyed that and I think the NBA does a great job of of bringing the athlete and, and exposing them uh, to other cultures and um, just other organizations so. Um, while the basketball, while it was neat to be around them as a basketball player, it was it was most enlightening to be around the NBA players as just human beings and and doing things for other people. And and it, it was a blessing to be able to do it two of the last three years. And hopefully, I'll be able to do it again. Yeah, and those games. This might this is the last last question. The games <laughs> that LeBron and uh, Lance went up against each other. Did you ever see a respect? towards Lance from LeBron's angle? Because as a fan, I got to think that when LeBron signed in L.A., Magic went up to him and made sure it was okay to bring Lance in there before they went finalized. So it's just kind of an interesting that those two have like this rivalry. Yeah. may have been overplayed a little bit, but it was just fun to watch as a, as a fan, those two going at it. Lance with not, not any fear. Do you think LeBron had some, I don't know, he liked that from Lance? Or what, what do you think on that? I do. I, I do. I think, you know, the, we all know the way Lance played. Lance yeah. plays with a passion. Uh, Lance plays with a fire. Uh, Lance gives it everything he has. And while sometimes it may cross a line, um, he's a guy that you, you normally want on your team. Yeah. And so I definitely think there was a respect level, despite all the things that have gone on in the LeBron-Lance, um, you know, mano a mano over the years. I, I think there's uh, an intense respect from LeBron James, and that's why he wants him as a part of his team with the Lakers. And I wish Lance nothing but the best of success. I mean, yeah. he 
Um, he re-energized the franchise two years ago for those final six regular season games and yep. getting the Pacers to the playoffs. And I thought he had a, a big role in this year's team. And, um, you know, changes happen. I think, I think for the Pacers, the, the, the changes will be good. And, and I hope uh, the change for Lance is good as well. We know that outside of being an Indiana Pacer, things have not worked well for Lance over his career. I hope that changes for him this year in L.A. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Chris, we appreciate you taking the time. Once again, we have uh, Chris Denary here, the uh, television play-by-play announcer for your Indiana Pacers. Pr- once again, appreciate you taking the time. Um, we got some great insight tonight from you. Yeah. Hey, guys, always good to do it, and uh, I'd be happy to do it any time uh, as we get closer to the season. Awesome, and we'll have to get that Scrabble match uh, scheduled for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you just You just dial it up, and I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. See you later. All right, well, that concludes our very interesting interview with the man, Chris Denary, play-by-play announcer for your Indiana Pacers. Guys, what are your thoughts after talking with Chris? Kind of, you know, first off about, you know, his career going into broadcasting, what got him into it, uh, also him playing sports, and then the uh, preparation that goes into the games and also his thoughts on the Pacers season. What were some of your takeaways um, from the things that we discussed with him uh, in the interview? He does it all. He's a man of the people. His work ethic is crazy. Um, The sheets we talked about, I bet he was kind of liberal with his guesstimates of his time. I bet those things consume his life and it shows he's just a hardworking guy. He's awesome to listen to. His play-by-play is amazing. Um, The interview was really fun. He was honest. Down-to-earth guy, talked about his dogs, Connecticut water, all the good stuff. We got some smothered chicken info. That was all great stuff behind the scenes. So, Chris and Ari, definitely my favorite interview so far. I'm going to wow. put that on Kevin Bowen and one other, Isaac Haas. But there's just no bigger fish than Chris and Ari, in my opinion. It was a childhood dream. Just interview that And I had mentioned a couple podcasts ago, and this was before we even started talking to Chris about coming on. I said dream scenario, number one as a team, though. Denary and Quinn Buckner. I mean, yep. we got half of that. Yeah, we got half. Well, all we got to do is finish it out, get Quinn on. That would be cool to get them both on at the same time. Mm. I just hear a live smothered chicken. Yeah, I, it'd be too <laughs> overwhelming for me to even comment. Um, my favorite thing about the Denary interview, what sticks out in my mind, was his openness about his. You know, he went into his college basketball career. Obviously, he won a national championship at Wabash. Um, D3. Um, he was very open and candid with how he got that job ult- ultimately with the Pacers. Um, and he he admitted you got to know people, you got to be hardworking, and you got a hundred, you know, a thousand people, or probably even more than that, that would love to have his job with the credentials maybe to even pull it off. And he just seems like a humble guy. Um, I know pre-interview we're talking to him about golf, and he, you know, he loosened up, and he's just very honest. He's candid, um, and I think I really liked I really liked his openness, and I love the conversation about smothered chicken. So we've always wondered why why smothered chicken, and so I was for sure thinking that we were going to get that answer from Denary today. What the flippity flop is? Uh, smothered chicken, and he doesn't know. Like <laughs> I mean, it, it, he doesn't know. And Quinn Secret Buckner, and, and Quinn Buckner won't say what it is. So I now have a new goal. My new number one 
interview that I want to get done is Quinn Buckner, and I want to be the guy that gets to the bottom of Smothered Chicken. Put him on the spot and say, why Smothered Chicken? Do you think chicken? he'd tell you? No. What do you think your I best think he would guess? just laugh. I think it was... I think it just he just loves smothered chicken. Like I think he just smothers I think, chicken. Like sauté mushrooms and yeah, the cheese. Chicken, he likes the food. And then obviously it's a block, so the block is smothered. And then he just thought of something that went with the word smothered and smothered. But chicken. that's too simple. That makes too much sense. No. <laughs> there's got to be some I magical aura around it. If you, I don't think there's any more. To I, I actually think literally like maybe one day there was like a big block. And at the same time as the block, he was like getting, like he was looking at a menu and he was just like, he looked down, first thing he seen was smothered chicken! Or maybe he spilled the smothered chicken in excitement and he just, the only I thing he could yell is like smothered chicken. Smoth, like a whole episode on smothered chicken conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> Segment be, idea, yeah, question mark? I would go another hour yeah. right now talking um, But as you had just mentioned, couldn't have a nicer guy, uh, Chris, being the play-by-play guy for the Pacers. Absolutely amazing guy, down to earth. And we hope he's, you know, with the Pacers for another 20, 20 years, however much longer he wants to do it. Yeah, and, like, I think the one thing with all these guys, Hawk kind of said it, they're so generous with their time. And at the end, all of them have said the same thing. Like, hey, I'm willing to come back on, um, willing to exchange numbers with us. Um and that means a lot to, you know, pretty much a startup podcast. Mm-hmm. It's now been a little over a month, almost 800 followers, 25 five-star reviews. I mean, I don't know. You well, know thanks to the hard work of Dan so Harley. It's not myself, per se. I mean, I'd like to think that it was it was me, but, you know, team see, effort. Team mostly effort. Dan, though. Team Anyways. effort. Mostly Dan screwing up. I'm. You know what? I'm going to take this opportunity. I, I'm just looking at our DMs right now, and he misspelled a dude's name. Uh, NCAA basketball player, he has a chance. I'll be honest with you. It was Carson Edwards. And sliding in the DM, and he misspelled Carson's name when it was right in front of him. It does not get worse than that from an intern. (laughs) I'm going to cut you off there before we dive deeper into that subject. Uh, I could go on for hours. So thanks a lot again to Chris Denary. Great interview. Um, But that's going to wrap this episode up. Check us out next week. We actually have two interviews coming for you guys. We have one with Isaac Haas, the Purdue Center, and then we did one with Scott Agnes as well. That's going to come out uh, sometime next week. You talking about Agnes Thomas? Yep. You'll have to to get onto that new segment. Scott's Agnes very predict. He's a very big predictions guy too. Yeah. Nostradamus, Agnes Thomas. I mean, so those will come out uh, next week. But thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. And leave a review, five stars, please. Five star review.